0: Christmas is just around the corner. And of course, the beauty of Christmas is um, that the greatest gift of all is about to enter the picture. And you know, you think about it, it's a couple of weeks away. Many people are struggling and they feel there's a sense of hopelessness as they are being ruled by another people, by the Roman Empire. And many times there are restrictions on their worship and it's a tough time, and yet, just in a few weeks, Jesus is going to be born. And we think about the struggles this year that obviously we have all faced, and um, a lot of struggles. But Jesus, he's still here. He is with us, Emmanuel, and so we celebrate and we worship, and we come together with a sense of hope that regardless of what's happening around us, we know who is above us, that he is on the throne. And and this morning, as I continue on in this series in 1 Peter, we're going to look at the fact that we are in a struggle. (laughs) We are locked into a spiritual battle, and we're going to look at a battle plan in facing that enemy that we know as the devil, many names, he is opposed to God and thus he's opposed to us. But a single verse, first Peter 5 9, ask if you stand our God's honor as I read from the Scriptures. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Let's pray. Father, we are called to be close to you and resist the one who wants to pull us apart from you. And so, Father, I, I pray this morning that worship would continue as we have sung about you sending your son as he as He came as a baby. Father, you are king of kings and lord of lords coming again, not as a baby, but as the victorious one. And I thank you, God, that you are my victorious leader, that you are our victorious conqueror, that you have conquered sin, you have conquered the grave, and the enemy who wants to create constant havoc, his frenzy will only last for a time. And you will be the one who gets the attention and glory. And so, Father, we just lift all that up and just pray you guide us in the time that remains that we will continue to worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Back in 2014, one of the co-founders of Pixar, a Disney company, wrote a book called Creativity Incorporated. And most of the book dealt with his longing ever since he was a child to draw cartoons. But then the book came into play how he wanted to learn how to do that through the computer. And so in that struggle uh, was birthed Toy Story. And can you believe that movie came out 25 years ago? Um... I will not dwell upon that, but 25 (laughs) years ago, that movie came out, and Toy Story was the fruit of that effort, that concerted effort of developing computer animation. And, uh, of course, just a a, a powerful, powerful movie. And through the book, uh, this guy at one point had talked about when he was in sixth grade, He had a teacher come into the classroom. He was obviously shocked and depressed. And what had occurred at the time was that the Russians had sent Sputnik 1 into space. And the teacher had shared with the sixth graders that this was a devastating time because this means that the Russians were ahead of us in technological advances and that pretty soon we'd have to learn how to hide under the desk. And I just want to share, this is from the book uh, that he uh, he shared. He said, in Russian, Sputnik means traveling companion. And this essentially meant the Russians were seeking to communicate. This is just the first to come. There will be others that follow. He says, I'm here... Since we'd been taught that nuclear war could be waged at the touch of a button, the fact that the Russians had beaten us into space seemed proof. They now had the upper hand. Um, The United States was now at a tremendous disadvantage in offensive and defensive warfare. The U.S. government's response to being surpassed was to create a research agency whose mission was to begin research at an accelerated pace in the hopes of preventing what it called technological surprise. In other words, the goal was to never be surprised again. Now, we are locked in a battle not to do computer animation, but we are locked in a battle with an enemy who wants to destroy us. And we should not be surprised by his advances. We should not be surprised by his ability for deception. Uh, Anyway, he goes on and he describes that out of those technological advances that the United States created came uh, something called the GPS system, you know, that now we use when we go on trips to find restaurants and everything else that we need. But in that time, it was originally created to track Sputnik 1, to see where it was in space. And so, as we seek to have advances, we don't know what God will reveal to us in our battle to track the enemy, what he is attempting to do in our lives of destruction, he is attempting to bring. Uh, so first, he says to us, hey, guys, do not be surprised. Secondly, he tells us, don't be self-confident. You know, the enemy comes as a roaring lion. He is seeking for the opportunity to pounce. That's what we looked at last week, that that's the type of enemy that we have. You know, when you're a a small child, it's easy to have overconfidence because you can just enter the world of imagination and you can battle. You know, Atticus, I miss him today. He's not able to be here uh, with his parents, but, you know, he's got all these superhero costumes and sometimes he allows me to play you know, he tells me I can be this hero or sometimes a villain. But the other day he came in and he, all he had on was shorts. And he said, Papa, I am the Incredible Hulk. Because the Incredible Hulk never keeps his clothes on. He busts out of them. And I said, so are you green? He said, Papa, look at me. He said, I'm not actually green. He said, Now, if you gave me green paint or if I was able to crayon myself, I might be green forever. But the point was, man, you're a kid, your imagination, you can battle anything and you can win. But the reality is, we in ourselves are not able to conquer the villain, the enemy that is opposed to us. But with God and His power, He's no match for our God. And, and so that is our heart to follow God and thus to resist Him. Uh, there's a story with Muhammad Ali. Remember what a character Muhammad Ali was. Uh, the famous boxer. And there's a story in one of the books that describe Muhammad Ali. He got on a 747. He sat down in his seat getting ready for takeoff. And as the stewardess was walking by, she noticed that Muhammad Ali did not have his seatbelt on. So she walked over to him, and she whispered, she said, Sir, would you please put your seatbelt on? And Ali responded by saying, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And so she quietly looked back at him, and she responded, Superman doesn't need an airplane either. Please buckle your seatbelt. And he buckled his seatbelt and prepared for the flight. And so we are not to act in overconfidence. Thirdly, we're not to be scared. The scripture never tells us to run away from the devil. That is not our mission. Our mission is to run to God in the battle that follows. Um, So just some truths. If you look at the scripture as a whole and how it mentions spiritual warfare, I just want to mention a couple of truths here. Um, First, we know that the power of Satan is providentially delegated. He has no power except that which God allows him to have. Just understand that although he is a formidable enemy, what a word, enemy, (laughs) he is not all-powerful. God has control. He is ultimately on the throne. Secondly, the influence of Satan is limited. There is only so much he can do. He is not all-powerful. Although he would like us to believe that he is literally the antithesis of God, that God is ultimate good and he is ultimate evil and the two are equal. But that's a lie. He's created. He is not creator. He is not all-powerful. And God allows him only so much territory and only so much power to do His damage. L- listen, this is a quote. I-, I love this illustration from a Puritan thinker. And boy those Purit- if you ever read any of those Puritan books, uh, him, you know it takes you an hour to read a paragraph sometimes <laughs> because of the death. But he had, this is from a guy named William Grinnell, who wrote in the 1600s, And uh, listen to this quote of this illustration he uses. When God says to Satan, stay, Satan must stand like a dog by the table while the believer feasts on God's comfort. Satan dares not snatch even a tidbit, for the master's eye is always upon him. This is the power of our God. God, is he knows, he is watching, and Satan must submit. Next, uh, third, the judgment of Satan is prophetically determined. His end is near. Although he seems all-powerful at the moment, he will be conquered. He will be defeated. And as it tells us near the end of the book of Revelation, he will be placed in a prison, a dungeon, that has been specially prepared for him and his followers the deadly angels, the demons. And so that time is coming. As one commentator said, he may be a roaring lion, but next to God he's a roaring lion with broken teeth. He's not going to gum you to death. (laughs) Not with our God there in charge. So I want to spend most of this lesson looking at action plan here. And so we're going to look at three ways Um, of action against our enemy the first one is to refuse to flee look at our text here in first peter chapter 5 verse 9 he starts out he says resist him he doesn't say run from him take off Uh, you know you have no chance flee matter of fact it's interesting in the scriptures we're told in a number of places to flee we're told to flee sexual immorality and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In the book of Timothy, we're told to flee the evil desires of youth. Um, we are told in uh, another place in, in Timothy that we are to flee from evil things. And, but we're never told in the scripture, flee from the devil. Uh, matter of fact, it tells us in the book of James uh, chapter 4 verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, the devil's not scared of you. He wants you to be lunch. He wants to destroy your witness. He wants to destroy your joy and your peace and the fruit of the Spirit that God wants you to enjoy and to have. That is what he desires to do. But he's afraid of God. So when we resist him... By submitting to God, he has no choice but to flee. So we're not called to flee. We're called to surrender to God, and God will take care of the devil, and he will flee. He's the one to do the running. So that's the first truth that we are told. Secondly, we're told to rehearse the faith. Look as the text goes on in the next part of verse nine, standing firm in the faith. Or this could literally be translated firm as regards the faith. Be in the scripture. Listen to what God has to say. You know, sometimes we we think of the Bible just as an old book that, most of us have in our homes and that we look to from time to time or maybe we have some genealogical records in there, you know, or uh, pictures uh, from family reunions or or something precious. This book is passed down. But there's something precious not just in the book. There's something precious of the book, the words there, because the Scripture tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it comes directly from God. So when we read these words, within these words are the thoughts of God. So do you want to know what God thinks? Do you want to know how to handle life? Your your relationships, uh, spiritual warfare. Um, Within the pages of this book, there is revealed how God thinks. What God wants us to know In order to face life. And that is what it means by the faith. It is not speaking of having faith or trust in God. Although that is certainly important. But when it speaks of the faith. It is talking about what we firmly believe. What we discover in here. That is useful for us in this fight. In becoming more like Jesus Christ. And in the work that he wants to do in us. I love it, Martin Luther, you know, in in his song, he writes, One little word shall fail him. There is such power in God's words. And that is why it is so important that His words become a part of our words. That when we speak, we speak out of an understanding of what He has spoken. That is so crucial and it is so critical in this battle and in this pursuit of becoming like Christ for his word to become a part of us. I love what Spurgeon used to say. He said, man, I want to be such a student of the Bible. I want the word of God to flow through me in such a way that if you were to cut me, I would bleed as a blood type. And there is certainly an inexpressible power when our mind becomes linked to God's mind as his word becomes a part of our words. Listen to what Paul wrote about this battle. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. You know, we don't... Look to see who's got the biggest, baddest guns and technological weapons. That is not how we are called to fight. We have a different type of weaponry. Prayer, the love of God, the truth of the scriptures. He goes on, he tells us, On the contrary, our weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, the enemy builds strongholds in our lives. He finds a weak spot and he attacks that weak spot until he is able to build a stronghold and have control over us in a specific area. And God never means for the enemy to have control over any area of our lives. But the enemy is able to do that as we literally give him control, as we respond to his advances and his temptations and his allurement instead of responding to the scriptures and to the message of our God, the message of the cross, the message of being transformed by Christ. And those strongholds are built, but it tells us here that the weapons he gives us have divine power to demolish these strongholds and to set us free so that we are free in Christ. And he goes on, listen, the text he says, we demolish arguments, these crazy arguments that go against the truth of God. (sighs) Don't get me started on some of that. uh, But anyway, the point of the matter is, There is certainly a war that is going on, a war of ideas. Either those words are in agreement with God's truth, in agreement with His design, or the arguments are not. And He tells us that the spiritual weapons that He gives to us empower us to be able to demolish these arguments, to tear these arguments apart so that truth can be seen and through the power of the Holy Spirit, truth might be understood, that lives might be changed. And then he tells us every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, every trap that he is able to set to capture our minds and our hearts, that there is a weapon to fight against that, that we might be victorious. And then he closes, this part always amazed me, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think about how often my thoughts can be like uh, wild little children that are running around out of control And yet this text tells us that we are capable in the power of God to take captive every thought and to make it obedient to Christ. This is what the opportunity is in spiritual warfare. We do not have to be victims. We are called to be victors. We do not have to live on leftovers. We can live according to His glorious promises and, and this is what the scriptures tell us. And um, I want to just look. This is from Thomas Brooks, another Puritan. And, and uh, he referred to the, our enemy as the wicked whisperer. The wicked whisperer. He loves to whisper in our ears. Well, here are seven things that Brooks shares that this wicked whisperer uses. First, he says... The enemy, Satan, reveals the bait, but he hides the hook. He reveals the bait, but he hides the hook. Ooh, the bait is so tempting, you know. And let's face it, if if you're trying to catch something, you have to use bait that's attractive to what you're trying to catch. You know, a bear, you got some fresh meat that you're going to use. You know, a, a fish, you're trying to, a worm on there that's attractive to that fish in order to try to catch him. If you're trying to catch a mouse you use cheese and uh, I remember last year Atticus told me if you're trying to catch a werewolf you use fresh lamb meat now I don't know where he heard that so he said Papa we got to get us some lamb meat so we can catch us a werewolf but whatever it is The hook has to be hidden with bait that is attractive to what you're trying to catch. Matter of fact, sales people obviously have caught on to this because from what I understand, our computers like to eat cookies. They have these cookies where they follow everything that we do. So uh, these commercials pop up. I just looked at this five minutes ago and now I've seen 50 pictures of them. They won't go away, you know, as I'm online. us uh, trying to catch us, trying to entrap us. Secondly, Brooke shares, he paints sin with virtuous colors. In other words, he seeks to make sin look good to us. I mean, he can't be honest and tell us what sin actually will do. So he wants to paint sin in such a way that we find it beautiful and attractive. Uh, In other words, uh, it isn't a bad temper. It's personal conviction. It isn't stealing. It's something you deserve. It isn't materialism. It's good taste. It isn't pornography. It's an appreciation for God's beautiful creation. It isn't drunkenness. It's Christian liberty. It isn't lying, it's discreetly withholding the truth. So he paints sin in a deceptive way. Third, Satan downplays the consequences of sin. He certainly does not want us to know how deadly and devastating sin actually is. Uh, One of the early church fathers said, Do not give Satan control of even." One strand of your hair. Because if you do. He will braid it. He will take control. And, and listen to this quote from D.L. Moody. The evangelist of old. He, he used to love to say. Excuses are the cradle that Satan uses. To rock people to sleep. It is his work. To try to deceive us. Of how deadly and destructive. Sin is. Fourth. Satan maximizes God's commandments, and I mean, maximize yeah, maximizes God's commandments and minimizes God's compassion. Uh, he wants us to sin. there's an old saying: um, it's easier to ask for permission than for forgiveness. I remember my dad telling me when he was in World War II, he had a friend of his, and he would party like a wild animal on Saturday night. But he would go to the priest before the next service, and he would ask for forgiveness, so he could be covered, you know, just in case. The idea of a- you know asking for permission is easier than asking. I mean, asking for forgiveness. I got that backwards. It's easier than asking for permission so there is a certainly a picture here of where god says man or where satan says god is just his commandments are so harsh and they're so strict but you know he's just so compassionate go ahead and sin he'll forgive you (laughs) all right fifth satan leads you to compare yourself to great sinners yeah i've got a temper but at least i'm not on death row with that murderer I'm no Ted Bundy or whoever the guy is. I mean, wow, he's he's just terrible, but you know, I'm I'm nothing compared to him. Or I've never robbed a bank. I might have a little bit of a financial problem, but I'm not as bad as somebody like that. There's always a greater sinner out there <laughs> to make you look better. Number six, he reminds you of the sins of greater Christians hey, if, uh, if Bob can do that, then I might as well, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, this idea of these people that we love that walk with Jesus, wow, look at what they're doing. I must be okay. And so Satan tries that as a method to corral us or to trick us. And number seven, last one here, he encourages you to mind your sins more than your savior in other words he wants to constantly bring to your mind your sin remember when you did this remember how you hurt her remember how you should have responded in this situation and you didn't remember how you brought these people to tears remember how you We're so destructive in that family's life. If you would have just kept your mouth shut. And what he wants to do is just bring the truckload over and dump it on you. Because he wants to discourage and defeat you. And bring before you constantly your sin. But he does not want to remind you that you have a Savior who forgave you of all of it. Who died on a cross... So you could live with Him. He died so you wouldn't have to face eternity without the living God. That's what He does. The devil wants to ruin us. He wants to cripple us, discourage us, defeat us. But the Holy Spirit, He convicts us. But it is for a different reason. It is not to defeat us, but to give us victory. Because we have to go down before we can go up. We have to be humbled before we can be exalted, the Scripture tells us. We have to know we're a sinner before we can really experience the forgiveness of a Savior. That's His work. This brings us to the last spiritual strategy that we're given in the Scripture here in verse 9. Remember your friends. Notice here verse 9 as it ends he says because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings there's at least uh, four truths as you think about that text the first one is this it's to keep us encouraged Man, you know, you might think you're the only one. You know, I thought of Elijah, you know. He was so discouraged. God, I'm all alone. And, and you know, man, they're going to wipe me out. And then God says to him, hey, there's 7,000 others. You're not alone, Elijah. He didn't. The scripture doesn't say this. This is Todd translation. Child, just quit whining and get on with it. doesn't say that, but I threw that in there for you. So Take it with a grain of salt. But anyway, the point of the matter is, Elijah wasn't alone. And neither are you. We... We are not alone in suffering. There are others around us who are suffering. Secondly, it's to keep us humble. It doesn't take long to get puffed up and to you know, put too much uh, emphasis on how important we are. I remember one guy uh, preaching somewhere, and it, it really struck me. He had a bucket of water, and he said, you know how important you are? This is how important you are. He stuck his hand in the water, and then he took it out. He said, you're as important as as how long it takes for this water to go back after you pull your hand out. But the idea of being too big for our breeches, this is to humble us, to remind us of others that are around us who are suffering. Hey, if they suffer, why are we surprised when we suffer? It's a part of the human condition. Third, to keep us connected. He had told us earlier here in the book of 1 Peter... There was a reference to the brotherhood. Uh, It is a picture of, guys, we are connected in Christ with one another. And it's always amazed me how you can meet somebody for the first time and not really know anything about them. But if they love Jesus and you love Jesus, there is this really instant connection. And I've seen that through the years. And it's always been such a blessing to me. Um, to be at places and, and just start being able to talk about God's goodness and what He has done for us. And then suddenly it's just like, man, you know, I'm encouraged. And, you know, hopefully I encourage the other person. So there is this edification that happens. And then one more to keep us grateful. You're being attacked by the devil? Have you ever thought that that should be an encouragement? instead of a discouragement, He wouldn't attack you if you didn't belong to God. Be grateful. His attacks are just proof or just evidence that you belong to Jesus, that you are secure in His grace. And, you know, there's just power in that and there is a comfort that is in that. Man, his, his time is set, at, at, there will be a marked time where he will go down in ultimate defeat as we stand in triumph with our supreme commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that time, it is set and it will occur and we're to be faithful until that time, that appointment is, is fulfilled and, and it will be. I, I love what, remember Little Richard, Little Richard, the singer, um, when he became a christian he had this great saying uh, he he used to say the next time the devil reminds you of where you've been you remind him of where he's going he is going (laughs) go get out of here i used to love it with martin luther they said he at times he could sense the devil's presence in such a powerful way you know back in those days they would write with the old uh, ink quill and he and they would blot it into the ink well there's a story where he got so mad he just picked up the 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 ink and the quill and he just threw it against the wall devil shut up and get out of here <laughs> one day that will occur i want to close with his words from A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Listen to his words. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word fell him, That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. God, we are grateful that we are part of the kingdom that abides forever, abideth forever. But we know the only way to come into that kingdom is through Jesus Christ. And and Father, as we come to this time that we refer to as response or invitation, it is an opportunity for us to do a heart check whether we are here present physically or listening uh, via the internet. Uh, Father, you speak and we need to check our hearts to see if we have done business with the living god if we are really a part of that great kingdom and it is only entered through being honest about our need for a savior and then placing our trust on the only one who is the savior jesus christ that he died upon a cross that he was taken down from that cross, placed in a tomb for three days, of which he escaped from alive, and he spent time ministering among the people, and then he was called back up to heaven where he now sits and intercedes for us until that time where we join him. And Father, we want all people to have that hope the forgiveness of a save of the savior Jesus Christ and to walk in a new life hoping for a new day understanding that our enemy has a short time and then he will be cast out and we will be drawn to you so father with that in mind work among us uh, you know where we are if there's some who are physically present here who want to come to the altar and, and pray or or others, uh, Father, who have something to deal with and they're not going to get up and walk toward the altar. But you want to deal with them right where they are, where they will stand. and Do that, Lord. Or those who um, are watching you know, through our, the internet, Father, through YouTube. I just pray that you would speak there and that decisions would be made as your spirit speaks. And Father, we just want to follow you. And we know that that is the best place to be as close to you in obedience. So do that work in this time that we set aside. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.